0: Bill was giving a plug for that class there. I heard you've got a pretty good teacher standing in. I think Bill's teaching that class, actually, and so that's fine. People, if, if you believe in what you're teaching and what you're saying, you will want people to come to it. And so I'd encourage you, if you're not part of one of our ABF groups, uh, seek one out. We've got several to choose from. I appreciate the work that the Missions Committee has done on preparing um, the uh, missionary that will be taken on by each class. And that's going to be up to the class, how they're going to do that, whether you're spending time in in that group praying for them or individually or sending them gifts, but that will be very helpful for us as a church family to connect well with our uh, missionaries. I want to say thank you for your participation so far in the service. I do recognize that before me, there are all kinds of stories that are coming into this place. And the little pat question that we ask, how are you? And the pat response that oftentimes comes out, fine. It does not explain that. It doesn't explain the burden that some of you are carrying. And so I would ask you, and I've already prayed this even this morning, that whatever load you might be carrying, maybe you can talk about it with someone close to you. Maybe you can't even get the words out. There are um, stresses that I couldn't even imagine that are represented by folks that will hear this message today. And so I am a believer in the involvement of our God, and I know some of you have already prayed for that. If you're ever looking for how you can pray for our Sunday services, that's something you can clearly do. Ask the Holy Spirit is clearly involved in our worship times. It makes such a difference. And it's not that we're gonna stop practicing for the music and stop preparing for the messages. That's not gonna take a back seat. But if you think about it, as far as how wonderful a gathering like this can be with a church family, when we add the blessing of the Holy Spirit to these things that we've done, let me ask you, where is the ceiling on that, right? How good could it get when we get together? When we're doing the best that we can And then God beautifully adds his blessing to our work. And so with that said, I'm going to ask you to stop. And if you want to pray along with what I'm saying, that's fine. If you want to go off on your own, pray for the clear involvement of the Holy Spirit as we open his word. Heavenly Father, it is beautiful to come into your house. And that is difficult for us sometimes to shut out the things that are calling for our attention I thank you for the spring. I thank you for the new life on the trees. I thank you for how many believers they love the spring because it reminds them of the new life they have in Jesus Christ. And I would ask that each one that knows you would be right now receiving a wonderful teaching. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this study in the history of the church. And we thank you that we are today living the church, seeing you wonderfully involved. We pray for your blessing now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I would like to ask you to participate right off the bat, if you don't mind today. I'm going to ask you to scan your memory banks, and I want you to seek out something, and it shouldn't be too hard for you. Probably everybody here can find something that I'm getting at. I want you to go through your memory banks for something that was said to you by an individual that you've never forgotten. Maybe it was said 10 years ago. Maybe it was a teacher that was influencing you. Maybe it was just someone who had experience, and they said something, and it just, it popped. It was like a light shining on this, and you thought, oh my goodness, that is brilliant. That is just genius. I have up here some books that I keep um, uh, in my library, and I have these Uh, very easily accessed. These are quote books, most of them. This is an encyclopedia of Christian quotes. That's a thick book. There's a lot of things that some people have said that others have said, we need to write that down. We need to not forget that one. I've got a great quote book by Billy Graham. It's amazing the number of things that he said that God clearly had his hand on him saying those things. This is the newest book that I got. I got it from uh, Ed Lavore at the radio station, actually. It's called, In the Words of Jesus. And it's only what Jesus said. So how can we improve on that, right? Right from the scriptures, topically, what Christ said. All right, I I gave you long enough to think about it. Hopefully, you can think of something that somebody said. And here's a good test for if it really worked or not. If somebody said something in that category, it is going to be remembered and it is going to be repeated. So if you remember it and if you repeat it, it's something in that category. Hey, Randy, my clicker's not working, so I'm gonna let you run with these slides today, okay? And Randy's gonna have a whole lot to do because I've got a whole lot of slides to go through. As we look at this and we look at the idea of something that someone has said to you that pops, I want to share just a quick story with you of a situation that I had to maybe give my influence, okay? to influence someone. It happened uh, several years ago now, and I had the opportunity because I had some connections. Someone called me and they said, hey, uh, the president who is running for a second term is gonna be speaking down in this location about an hour from here. I've got tickets, would you like to go and hear him speak? And um, I was very interested in that. So Tia and I had an opportunity to go hear President Bush speak after he he was finishing his first term, running for a second term. Laura Bush was there. It was really a, a fun opportunity. It was, it was good. We went. It was about, as we expected, pretty crowded. Our tickets allowed us to get to a close section, a very close section to where he was. And everything went. It was pretty neat to see this, to see the security, to see everything. And it was exciting, too. So we enjoyed that time. And then right about at the end of his speech, something happened that I totally did not expect. He stepped down from the stage, and he started to walk along an area in front of the stage. It was fenced off, but in the close section that we were in, we could actually get up pretty close to him. And as soon as he stepped off and went down, that's exactly what happened. The entire crowd that was in this intersection rushed right towards where where the president was. And I looked at Tina, and and I looked at myself, and I said, okay, if we go a little bit this way, we can probably get close enough, maybe, to shake hands. And it's at this point that I was trying to find within myself the words that I wanted to pass on to the president to counsel him, to give him instruction. What could I say to President Bush, as he possibly would come up to a second term as president, that would influence him? What would I say? And I, I was pressed I didn't have a lot of time to think about it. And so I'm, I'm pushing through all these people, and we're going, and we got close enough. Just one line of people between us and him, and he was coming by, and we're going to shake hands, and so my mind is racing, what am I going to say? What am I going to tell him? And I thought about it, and I thought, okay, 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 I think I've got just the right thing to say to him. And as he came by, and Tina was right here, he reached out and he shook hands with Tina, and I thought, oh, that's neat. And I was reaching out because it was kind of a fun experience, and I reached out, and the president touched my hand, and I shouted out my words. I'm not going to tell you what I said. I'm not. Because it's not profound. It's not. In fact, Tina, when she teases me, which is just every once in a while, she will shout out those four words that I said to the president reminding me that I probably did not have any influence on him at all. (laughs) I tell you all of that to bring you to this point. Someone more more important than the president was going to speak to some people that were more important than that crowd that was there that day. If you're not already there, would you take your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 20? In Acts chapter 20, we're going to look at a section of the church history. The Apostle Paul is right at the tail end of his, um, of his third missionary journey. Randy, I'm going to try this again while there. Let me see if it works. I got it. All right. I'm taking this because we're going to do something very unusual today, and I've got a whole lot for you to read, okay? I'm not going to apologize for that. But there's a lot of slides, a lot for you to read, and we're going to try to be done about five-tell. So we'll see how that goes. Usually it's a fail when I try to get done early. All right, if, uh, Acts chapter 20. And as we look at this and we see the Apostle Paul, and he goes and he stops, we find that he's coming up to a place where he gets to give one last bit of words to the leaders at the church at Ephesus. All right, that's the point. So Paul is going to have an audience and he believes this is the last time he'll be able to talk to these folks. That should jump out to you because if you've been paying attention to our study, you will see very clearly that the Apostle Paul, he goes and he starts a church and his habit was to come back to that church or to send somebody close to him back to encourage them. He oftentimes went back, encouraged them because his heart was poured out in these places. He wanted to see them doing well. And now, as he stops in this place, he's not in Ephesus. He chooses not to go there, but he calls the elders to make a trip down. It's between 30 and 35 miles to come down to this port where he was at. Uh, Miletus was the town. And as he is there, and as he's giving these final words to these men, to these elders, very clearly, what he says, what he has on his heart, listen, it's not going to be forgotten. Now, he had the benefit of having it recorded in God's Word. So it will never be forgotten because we will always have the Bible. Having said that, I'm sorry, some of you are probably looking at these words on the slide while I'm talking here, not even paying attention to me. I'm going to read everything up there for you. When, a, a couple years ago, when we were coming to this study and looking at the book of Acts, I talked to one and he said, boy, I'm very curious to know what we're going to do when we come to church government. How you're going to handle that and so it is appropriate for us to stop right now and i and what i did was the best way that i could possibly put it that i could word this as i have studied uh church government and leadership in the church i found it in somebody else's words so there's a pastor in flagstaff arizona his name is stephen j cole he's got amazing teaching online if you ever want to hear some expository preaching And I found the way he worded this. And so this is a paraphrase on these slides here. And if you're taking notes, it's all written down. There's about 40 of these copies on the table in the foyer. You can grab this whole thing, study it out yourself. And just for one more note before I start to read this, um, when I was looking for uh, the best, most biblical possible approach to church government, I was looking for that, and I was not looking... For what I found, if that makes sense. Have you ever believed something in your life, and so you wanted to go find some Bible support for what you believed? Have you ever done that? That was kind of where I was at. I had a history, I had a certain experience, and I liked that. I didn't want to change that. And as I dug in for myself, which every one of us is called to do, I found very quickly some things that did not jive with what I wanted to be, that were in God's Word. I'm going to read this for us. And the reason is is because this speech that the Apostle Paul gives, this is a different speech in the book of Acts. Okay? It's unique. In fact, this is the only time that we find in the book of Acts that Paul gives a speech solely to a Christian group. Every other time it's a mixed group, it's the Jews, it's people that were opposing him, it's just um, unbelievers of some way. And this is the one time that we have a speech recorded in the book of Acts that is given to exclusively a Christian group, which is also, by the way, why the rest of, the chap- of chapter 20 in Acts kind of smacks of the Pauline epistles. So the Pauline letters he wrote to the churches, we say on a regular basis that Acts is going to be more descriptive for us as a church than prescriptive. By that, I mean just because we read it in Acts doesn't mean that we do it. It's describing how God started his church. But over the next several verses, and we won't even cover the whole chapter today, we find a whole lot that is actually prescriptive for the church. Okay, if you'll read these slides along with me, the, a, a description of a leader shepherding God's flock. And this is a, a summary, it's a paraphrase of Stephen J. Cole's uh, information he's given. God's design for leadership in a local church is that the leadership is plural, not singular. In Acts 20:17, that's our text for today, Paul called the elders of the church, one church, the church at Ephesus, he called the elders to come. Every time in the Bible the term elder is used with reference to a local church, it is in the plural. The only time the New Testament refers to a single man who seemed to be running a local church, it is not positive. Uh, that's in 3 John. The Lord knows, the, pro- and this is, if, if you only catch one sentence, this is the best one right here. The Lord knows the propensity of the fallen human heart to abuse power. And so he designed leadership in the local church to be multiple, not singular. To check that tendency and provide the wisdom of several Over one. Also, the leaders in the local church are referred to by various terms. Elder comes mainly from the Jewish synagogue, whereas overseer comes from the Greek culture. Don't tune out. I went over this to cut it and edit it down, and I said, oh, man, I I cannot cut it anymore. This is very, very good. So those are the words that are used. Elder, overseer. These are both used in the New Testament. They refer to the same men. The term elder focuses on the necessary maturity of the man Whereas overseer focuses on the main responsibility to superintend or manage the local church. The term pastor, which I like, looks at the leader from the metaphor of a shepherd. Sometimes the term leaders is used, and that's a nice generic one that we can use. I use it all the time. In 1 Timothy 5, Paul distinguishes between elders who rule well and work hard at preaching and teaching who are worthy of financial support and other elders who presumably, presumably did not receive such support. In modern terms, the pastoral staff, so modern terms today, is made up generally of the teaching elders who are supported. The other elders support themselves by an outside job and thus cannot devote as much time to the church. Hebrews 13 commands church members to obey their leaders and submit to them because they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. And this is a sobering thought for church leaders, if they take it seriously. The leaders are accountable to the Lord, to one another, and to the congregation. Wise leaders will involve the congregation in major decisions. The main idea of the New Testament government that is, that is, is that the risen Lord Jesus Christ is, is chief shepherd. He's head of the church. That's the main idea. And then I put down some things from our constitution in here. Those of you who have just joined, uh, recently read our constitution. Our constitution states, it shall be the board of deacons duty together with the senior pastor to look after the spiritual interest of the church. That's a beautiful way of that plurality of leadership stated. It's also appropriate to Calvary Bible. It tells us the duties of the trustees that have general oversight over the financial policies and material assets of the church, so they work together. When we look at the Bible model, and if you want to study it out on your own, please do, and give me your notes. We're all learning as we go. But when we look at the model from the New Testament, we might say that the elder's role is served by the senior pastor and deacons together, and then that helper role that we studied earlier in the book of Acts that is that person called deacons, and we call them here trustees who are assisting because we have a lot that goes on around here with this building, with the finances, with the radio station. And it would not be possible for the uh, group of spiritual leaders, per se, to handle all of that. All right, it's written down for you if you didn't get everything, and I hope this drives you to study for yourself. I know many of you have. I sat and talked with somebody just in the past couple days, and they gave me some different takes on this and their opinion of this let's see what acts chapter 20 has to do for us and um as we look at the apostle paul and so can i bring you back to that picture the apostle paul in miletus and he's there and he's giving this speech to the elders i don't know how many it was but i do know this it was a speech that was given to people who were in the trenches okay if you've been paying attention to our study in ephesus you know this was a hard place to minister This was a hard community. The sin was rampant. And there was so much that was going against them. He calls them down. They make the trek. And he starts to talk to these ones, to these leaders. His heart is with them because he had been with most of them since their infancy, since they came to Jesus Christ. And now he's going to talk with them and send them back. I think we've got a few more things on that slide there. Randy, I'm going to give it back to you. That paused right in the middle of the slide there. All right, Acts chapter 20, and as we look at this, there are some things that will knock out Christian leaders, all right? And some of you are going to say, yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that. If you're taking notes, I'm going to ask you to take these four things that I'm going to say right now and try to connect them to some point in our text. And here's what they are. Maybe we'll get a slide, maybe we won't. But these things that knock out a Christian leader are laziness, Pride, discouragement, and intimidation. All right? Laziness, pride, discouragement, and intimidation. You got to click through all those, Randy? You got a long way to go. And so go ahead. He's going to find it. All right. Let's go ahead and turn uh, right here to Acts chapter 20. And I want you to remember with laziness, pride, discouragement, and intimidation that every church is different. Does that make sense? It it takes a long time to figure this out. There are no cookie-cutter churches. You people are totally different, even than maybe a church down the road, regarding your giftedness, what God has done in your background in history. And every leader that comes in, one that stands in a place of leadership, is going to be different. And my experience is, is that a lot of times people will kind of assume about somebody else maybe what they've experienced or what's true about them. Does that make sense? So when we look at this word laziness, if you are lazy, and don't raise any hands, please. Uh, if you are lazy, there will be a little bit of propensity within you that thinks, well, that guy's just being lazy. Or if you are full of pride, or if you have experienced a former leader, now we're widening the group, right? If you've experienced somebody else who's had one of these struggles, you're automatically going to be saying, hey, let's just keep our eyes open. Let's just wait and see when his true colors come out because your history is going to play very much so with the local church. So we've got the setting of the meeting. We've got the Apostle Paul. And as he goes to give this speech, he's going to give his heart. Look in verse 17 with me. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia. Okay, we're going to stop right there and see that Paul had to endure the test of laziness. And clearly in those two verses, he says, From the first day that I set foot with you, and then he says, Over the whole time, I endured. I worked hard. Verse 19 serving the lord with and there's three things here all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the jews let's pause right there and talk about these humility which is going to be the opposite of pride that we've talked about humility is a commodity that we do not find enough of in leadership today And honestly, I I get it. When you're looking for someone who's gonna stand up and is going to lead, you're not looking for somebody who's sheepish, right? That's not what humility means. You need to understand that humility is going to understand the power of God, but very much so know their place and know that power under control, like the picture of a horse, power under control, and someone walking with humility. My experience has been, this is just a little inside talk here, when I speak with an individual about taking leadership over a certain group or ministry or coming on and serving as a leader in the church, oftentimes one of the first thoughts is, you're going to have to give me some, some control, some power. And I understand that because if you say something and nobody responds or does anything, it's frustrating. But I encourage people, and I would encourage you if you're going to get involved to spend, this is going to sound hard, are you ready for this? To spend up to two years. Two years. Observing, asking questions, listening, knowing what that ministry is about and the people that are, that are benefiting from that ministry. Just spend two years, maybe even three, just listening because you're going to have all kinds of questions and you need to get good answers before you start turning things really quickly. Then he says, with tears, and I think this talks about his investment, right? Do you think the Apostle Paul was, was pretty tough I I think he was in a lot of ways. I think the Apostle Paul had a lot of times when he had intimidating groups, and we get this picture that he kind of turned and kicked the dust of his feet up and left. And he wasn't sweating that group, even though they were an intimidating bunch. But I want to suggest to you this. The Apostle Paul, when he ministered, he ministered with tears. What's that tell you? Even though he was very, very tough, he had thick skin, there were things that he wept over. This is a great sign of a great leader. Because if someone genuinely cares, yes, they might need to take some of those arrows that are coming again and again, but there should come a point where they weep over something and it's having the wisdom of knowing what to weep over. The Apostle Paul wept. It says he ministered with tears. We see, we see a third one here when it says he ministered with the, or in the, with the trials of people plotting against him. People plotting against him. And this is hard. It's hard to do this. Because you have seen with leadership, people fail again and again and again. And, it's, and I'm just going to say this out loud. It is a whole lot easier. If I can use the sports, sports metaphor, it's a whole lot easier to coach from the stands than from this side over here. All you sports guys know what I'm talking about, right? I sat yesterday and I watched a soccer game, a youth soccer game, And I had stuff within me that wanted to shout out some coaching right to those kids. I wanted to straighten them out. I wanted to straighten the coach out at one point. But here's what I've been able to do. I've been able to coach. I've stood there. I know the comment that's been said when somebody said, what's wrong with our team? And somebody said, it's the coach, when I was the one that was coaching. My daughter heard that comment, by the way. She took offense by that. It's easy to coach from the stands, isn't it? So watch yourself. Also, just totally not spiritually beneficial. Um, That coaching illustration is a good one. I think everybody should also have to referee. You should have to referee if you're going to be criticizing, right? Same thing around, if you want a spiritual application, if you're going to be here in the church, you should have to be custodian for about two months, okay? You'll never throw a piece of paper on the ground again, all right? We're way off track here. (laughs) Now, here's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, I minister you. I minister to you with humility, with tears. I ministered while people were attacking me. And I'm going to say something tongue-in-cheek now. It's too bad the Apostle Paul didn't know the power of positive thinking, right? Look, look, at, his, look at his verbiage here. Look at the words that he's saying. Woe is me. Who's going to sign up for this? To be? and He's talking to the leaders, to the elders. He's sending them back. He doesn't say, hey, you guys, you're going to have your best life now. That's not what he says. Paul knew their best life was down the road when they got to heaven. He's sending them back to struggle, to have trials. That best, your best life now, that's a popular teacher today, and I think he misses the point in the scriptures. Here's one thing that that popular teacher says. I don't like to criticize too many uh, pastors or teachers, but I think that what he says is a detriment to people who try out what he's trying to give. And then they find out that the Christian life is not all roses. It's not all easy. Here's what he says. Get up today. Imagine the Apostle Paul saying this to these elders. Get up today and say, this is going to be a great day. I'm excited about my future. Something good is going to happen to me. That's what, that's what this guy writes. Paul never says that. Paul says, and the title of the message today is a, a, a good example, a godly example. Paul says, you need to minister with humility. Paul says to them, you're going to minister with tears. That's what being a good leader is. And it's too bad that as we see him, that we see that very clearly. He's sending them back to go and to do some difficult work. Look in verse 20 with me. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. So we see public teaching and house to house teaching. He's preaching the gospel in homes and in a public setting. And the responsibility that the Apostle Paul saw and the depth of his teaching, the wholeness of his teaching, this, was inclu- this included doctrine, it included duties, it was practical and it was whole. What did it look like for that church in that day? I'm not exactly sure. But I know that we, as we sat with, our, sat with our spiritual leaders even yesterday, we talked about this more than anything else. What does it look like at Calvary? That we want our people to have a good knowledge of God's word. What is our intentional plan? Then verse 21 testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul preached to all people groups, and if we want to apply this to ourselves today, we need to do whatever it takes to make sure that when somebody comes into our fellowship or wants to be part of our fellowship, that we do not make them feel like, well, they're not part of our group. They just don't fit in here. It's just not going to work. He preached to all groups. Do you remember last week we talked about the group that was traveling with Paul as he's going back to Jerusalem here? The diversity, somebody rich, somebody poor, somebody that was a half-breed, all these different ones, and Paul did not see any of them as anything but a child of God. And then verses 22 and 23. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Oh, Paul, why do you have to exaggerate so much? What's going on? He's not exaggerating. He knows he will not see them again. And even as he faces what will be jail time and other trials, he counts the cost and he does not steer away. And then finally, in verse number 24, look at it with me. But I do not account my life, this is huge. Memorize this verse if you like memorizing verses and it's a part of your routine. But I do not account my life as of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of, gra- of the grace of God. Does that give you a little bit of a picture of what Paul's attitude was like? He did not count his life above the responsibilities that he had of serving as a leader in these many churches the only what he valued was god's plan for his life the last thing that was on paul's mind was self-preservation and at the risk of going on too long and maybe i'm I'm speaking from my heart here i was talking to somebody on the phone this past week and i gave them some counsel some advice and at the end maybe they were just being generous they said boy where where'd you get all this good advice and good counsel and just as honest as i can be i'm going to tell you what i told him and this is the truth from all the mistakes that I've made. I've made so many mistakes that you mathematicians couldn't even keep up with it. And the thing is, as we make these mistakes, God is patient with us, and we need to learn from them. Paul had no interest in self-preservation, and oh, the spiritual leaders in churches today would have this same attitude. I talk to my wife every once in a while about something that goes on, that we scratch our heads and we say, Of a spiritual leader, why would they do that? Tina will ask me the question, why would they do that? And oftentimes the first response that comes to my head is spiritual, or I mean self-preservation. Self-preservation, it drove them to do something that might not have been a good move because possibly their job was on the line. And this is why... um, This is why when we look at a group of leaders, that a plurality of leaders is good. People that have an investment in the church. So yeah, you can hire a pastor to come in and ask him to please take time and study and give time to the care of the church and administration. Some people are good at that. But this is why it's good to have a group of leaders that is going to help, especially during those transition times. And I don't mean to make you feel uncomfortable, but in the day we live in, the average pastor is there about four years or less. I'm not planning on going anywhere. Having said that, there needs to be leadership in place so when the next pastor comes in, they can be patient with him and he can be patient with them. And we're building this up, this plurality of leaders. Then verse 25, as we close. And now behold, I know that none of you I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. So these guys will not see him again. All right, quickly, if you're taking notes, here's what you can do. Here's what you can do. Because some of you are thinking, boy, this sermon is only for leaders, right? It's just for pastors or uh, deacons or elders, whatever you want to call them here. Here is what you can do everybody and it's going to apply to you and if you've been disappointed in church or in leadership before here's what you need to do first of all pray for the leaders in the church and i put down pray for their spouses if they have a wife pray for the leaders pray for them to have a humble spirit that's right from this text pray for them to have wisdom in hard situations again and again and again listen to me and again i will come to someone else and i will come with a situation that i do not have an answer to and I do not think they're going to have an answer to it either. And we'll talk over that. And we'll talk about it maybe in a group. And this is hard stuff. You need to pray for wisdom. Pray for the discernment for those that are watching, over, watching out for wolves. And that's actually the end of the chapter here. We're not going to cover. What else can you do? You can encourage the church leaders. Encourage them and their spouses. So if you're praying for them, tell them that you're praying for them. Seek out how you may, might make their job easier um a whole nother sermon here but the goal of church leadership is to get the people of the church to do the work of the ministry so if you want to encourage the one who maybe um you're in their deacon care group if you're a member here seek out how you can be part of doing the work of the ministry that's what makes everything go wonderful and then also build up men to develop into leaders We need men that can learn. I've said this before. You might need to sit in five years' worth of meetings before you have a good discernment as to when to chime in and when to be quiet. It takes time. Pray about that. Some of you need to look at some of these younger men and encourage them to be serving in this way. As we look at God's plan for today, I move forward with an incredible sense of optimism. I look forward with this. When I'm trying to speak to you, and maybe every once in a while, I'll say something that pops. Somebody came to me about last week's sermon, and they said, you said something, something, you said something really good, really good. That was encouraging that I said something good last week. It just popped. And I'll tell you where I got it. I got it from some other guy, another pastor who said it. I heard him say it. I said, oh, that's really good. And I said it, and it was good. I forgot who it was, so I can't give him credit. Having said all of that, as you look at God's plan, we are in the process of the church. And there is hope. If you know somebody who's lost hope with the church, you need to let them know God started the church. God's going to keep it going until Jesus comes back. And all God's people said, amen. He's going to keep it going until Jesus comes back. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And they can choose to try to get through life without it. And I'm letting you know, It's going to fall short of what God has for them. Or they can choose to join. Maybe to lead. Maybe to be one who's being part of doing the work of the ministry. Will you do this? And will you you encourage the leaders around here as they stand in the gap and will stand before God someday for how they watched over your souls? Let's pray. Father in heaven, as you look to us and you've given us this, this teaching And we see the Apostle Paul. We see how Paul came and gave these words to these elders. I thank you for it. I thank you for the encouragement that uh, came from it. I thank you just for maybe the the strength. They had to strengthen up, maybe tense up, because they're going back into the work. And God, I would ask that very clearly you would today raise up leaders in this place. Ones who will shed tears because they love this church family. Ones who will put themselves out there. Ones who will walk with humility. Ones that will love you even above their own life in your church. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I'm going to ask Anna just to play through a quick stanza. If Anna would play through the piano, you keep your eyes closed, and I'm going to give you a chance to pray. Maybe God would have you to pray for Uh, someone that is a leader here someone in your leadership spot maybe God would have you pray for someone who might be a leader someday maybe you've been discouraged with church thinking can it be done right thank God that it can during this song pray to him Amen. Amen.